Tierran Music. All right, all right, all right. We have now started. Thank you all for bearing with us as we had some technical difficulties, aka my stove, my mics, and everything else. All right. So, as I bring myself into a positive space, this is another episode of Cutting Board. I am your host, Mike Rose. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. You would have seen the plates, but we've already run through them. Pictures coming soon. Don't worry about that. That Chilean sea bass was on. I'm happy. So, I got my brother and my sister here. I'm really happy. We're going to talk about, well, if you guys watched the pre-live before this, we're talking about the theory of positivity. We're talking about what it means to make sure that you're in a positive space overall. I know that, you know, a lot of mindfulness teachings would tell you that you have to have these affirmations and these mantras and these things. Positivity is a state of mind. And what we're talking about tonight is how to keep ourselves there and how it relates to ourselves as far as conditioning and issues and dealing with our societal health and all the other good happy stuff. Yo, what's up? <laughs> I was slightly stressed a minute ago because <laughs> I am a stickler for time and I definitely told my people 645. Yeah, that's all good. But it's all good. Listen, that's kind of the, the whole seeds of the season. Things happen. I was having a conversation earlier and I was talking to the bank manager about how society is going. It seems how people are so driven on acceptance. Like people are literally losing their mind to be accepted and it's all a matter of opinion. And then it starts dealing with people's scope for positivity, people's scope for what they can have and what they can do in life, all based off the opinions of other people. Yeah, absolutely. Radical acceptance. You know, we know a lot about that. I do know a lot about that. <laughs> Give me some. You, you want to start? No, you start. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're right. I think that um, the idea of acceptance is an important one, right? We all want to be accepted. We want to be accepted in our families. We want to be accepted by others. We want others to see our value. We want others to see our worth. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just a part of human nature. 
we, we create acceptance. Um, I think it gets unhealthy when we don't understand ourselves and um, struggle without dating ourselves. And that's when we struggle with um, trying to justify ourselves to others and prove ourselves for acceptance. Um, when it comes to positivity, in my life I found that it's important to be realistic, to um, not necessarily um, avoid the, the reality of things, to accept reality, but to always think about what the next steps would be mm -hmm. and um, to always focus on what the good would come out of things. And I think when it comes to acceptance, accepting yourself first is important. Well, what, what does that look like though? What is accepting yourself? You said self-validation, which I think is key. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, no matter how someone feels about you, how you feel about you matters more. Like, yes. yeah, you may be, you know, doing things wrong and need correction or, you know, be in a season of growth, but how you feel about you matters. Because right. if you're looking, like you said, you're looking for other people to fill that space, you're on everyone else's whim. You're on everybody else's time. Okay. You're making it so that everyone else has the power to say yay or nay for you rather than you. And then I, I was telling the manager today about uh, a couple of cases we see on social media where there are suicides based on these people not getting enough likes on Facebook. There's at least three cases I know of that where they didn't receive enough, you know, social media interaction. They actually ended up killing themselves over it. Yeah. Wow, I didn't hear that. Yeah, it's bad. Wow. And one, I think one was a 13-year-old girl, one was a 15-year-old girl, and one was a, I want to say, later teens young man. Yeah, you, you see that a lot with teenagers, and um, like my wife was saying, you know, learning how to validate yourself without seeking the approval of others and looking for the approval of others more than you validate yourself like a person. And that's our son. He's gonna end up in the podcast at some point. But I think that it's it's actually it works for the theme because I, one thing that I enjoyed most as a kid, although you know we was raised the old school way. Yeah. You can't be in adult conversation. Right. But when we were allowed to sit and kind of soak up games, kind of soak up things, it gave you a new perspective of what to think about. Yeah, absolutely. He, he comes with us he comes everywhere. The package. He, oh, yeah. Everywhere. Like, if you invite us, he's, he's coming. He's coming. So, That's right. Uh, yeah. All right. See, that was my highlight. <laughs> They're cool. Both my boys here, and I'm pretty happy about that. So it, I think yeah. that it, it shows to... There's no perfect in anything. There's no perfect home, perfect marriage, perfect nothing. But you can see where things are being perfected. Mm -hmm. Right. And just like how like I said, like my wife was saying, like we have come to terms with, you know, our idea of perfection. And we, we've come to accept things as they are. So when we're discussing, you know, acceptance, like we were talking about now, it really is coming to terms with things as they are. Right. There, um, there's yeah, a... I see. a little more for the camera. Yeah. I'm the only loud one. <laughs> they're, they're very nice and soft-spoken. I'm loud and abrasive. Okay. Yeah. yeah, no, so it's just coming to terms with um, accepting things as they are, right? Um, and when you accept that, it really is just saying, you know what, things are the way that they are, and that is going to be okay. And that's good enough. That is right. And acceptance doesn't necessarily mean approval. Oh. 
right? Acceptance doesn't mean agreement. Acceptance means it is, right, right. it is what it is, right? Yeah. Right. And I accept that this reality is what it is now, mm-hmm. and I hope for the best for the future. Or I accept this is what you're doing and saying, even if I don't agree with it. Right. I can accept it. And I think when we reject our reality, we suffer more. Absolutely. When we refuse wow. to accept things for what it is, then we create a fantasy. We create projections on others, and they create more suffering. Yeah. So I think accept, that acceptance is radical acceptance. But it starts with also accepting yourself. Absolutely. And as my, like I said, like my wife, she's talking about, and she has years of experience. So. I'm a LCSW, she's a LMFT, which is a licensed marriage family therapist, and she's been in the game for 20 years. Well, I've been waiting for these letters. I've been waiting for these letters since his first uh, round on the podcast. He refuses to give me letters to go with his name. So I just want y'all to put all that into perspective. That is a lot of clout on these couches. That I don't just have some, sh- some, some people I know out the corner. I go look for people, and they just happen to be friends on top of that. And so, um, radical acceptance, absolutely. And so, you know, um, my wife, Sam, she said something extremely important, that when you reject your reality, that's when you start to suffer. And right. if you're looking up any kind of terminologies or theories, um, you can really look back at acceptance, commitment therapy, because that discusses um, rejecting your reality, that's when you begin to suffer, and logotherapy. Um, Logotherapy uh, was, um, I believe it was invented by um, Victor Frankl, who has a really good book on, you know, just radical acceptance and uh, things of that nature. But when we reject our reality, Mm -hmm. um, that's when we really start to suffer. Now, I want to kind of unpack that because, like I said, season three is based on self-development, encouragement, love, and growth really pinpointing the places in our lives that need to be explored so that we're doing better. There's one thing about, you know, forward motion, but if that forward motion has no growth in it, all you did was move forward. You're not, you're not a better person. You're not thinking better. You're not moving more efficiently. You just moved. And I think that we become very comfortable with subtle movement, like no progress, but we're comfortable with moving. And it kind of, it, it tears down the individual, tears down society. It kind of makes it hard for people to really measure what my success is in life. And that's, like you said, being validated by other things and people, we're using that rather than, who was I last year versus who am I this year? And I think that, how you said, rejecting a reality makes it worse. So I think that there's a way to kind of accept things for what they are without being pessimistic about it. Like, take the facts of what it is. Okay, cool. I just stubbed my toe. I have pain, my toe hurts. Did I break it? No, I'm good. Move forward. Right. Like, you gotta kind of take in all the pieces and continue to move forward, but you have to actually sit in the pieces for a second. Don't be so quick to just move through something. I think, especially as millennials, I think we've learned survivalist mentality. Just to, you know, pick up your broken arm and keep moving. Patch it up, get back to work. Don't call out, work a bunch of hours. I have so many friends that I feel are, are getting old accidentally. Because they're working so many hours, they're doing so many things. Confession. 
I am down to one job now. Yes. Because yeah, working five jobs is for crazy people. Uh, yeah. And I think <laughs> that uh, it, it makes you old quick. Because yeah. we're, we're supposed to have the time to rest and to heal and to enjoy life and kind of have those, you know, cathartic moments where it's not all about the paycheck. It's not all about the pursuit of ambition, but we can really sit and relish like, man, all right, cool. I was here then, I'm here now. One thing I, I love looking at, which is probably part of my problem, is my credit score. Mm-hmm. I look at my credit score probably once a quarter. Mm-hmm. All right, what can I do better? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we we look at, um, we'll look at like in, in the credit score, the things that need to be worked on. I like credit karma, you know, the number, credit karma, get it together. Because <laughs> the number will be off by like 12. But yeah, the, the numbers are always working at the bank. I can see my actual number. Yeah. But I'm like, bro, don't gas me up and tell me my number's that high and it's not. Mm-hmm. But if you look at it, it'll say, hey, you need to do this and this, mm-hmm. and here are your options to fix that. Yeah. And I kind of started taking that approach on life. I can do this or this, and here are the options. Which one makes more sense? Like, does it make sense to bulldoze my way through an issue? Or should I really just sit and kind of pull the pieces apart and find out what's going on with me? Right. Yeah. I think it takes work. Right. And one of the things that I, I, I'm just going to you know, relate personally is when it comes to really making positive decisions, thinking positively, being mindful of what we think without judging ourselves, working on self-acceptance, all that stuff takes work. And I think a lot of the times we don't slow down to realize that this is going to take time, it's going to take effort, it's going to take unlearning redoing we are we have been conditioned from childhood right our conditioning from childhood teaches us to be judgmental we, we've learned to think in terms of right and wrong in terms of you know uh not trusting ourselves trusting others not being comfortable with our own feelings kids were you know taught not to um you know to be quiet that, that one gets me. Right? Be seen to, and not heard. To be seen and oh not heard. Um, to question yourself. So there's a lot of things that we come with as adults that we have to really slow down and work on unlearning. So when it comes to that positive um, thinking, the refocusing, the slowing down, making right decisions, right. Um, it takes time. Sometimes it's minute by minute. Yeah. It's moment by moment. But it but it requires an effort to say, okay, this is who I am, and this is where I want to be. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times people are stuck. They're stuck in their past. They're mm-hmm. stuck with their traumas. That they're works. stuck. Right. They're stuck. And getting unstuck takes work. Oh, it takes work. That <laughs> in itself is a mouthful because when you're starting to deal with the getting unstuck part, you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. You, you really have to be, you know, dig into the fact that this is not going to feel good for the moment, mm-hmm. but my long-term objective is going to feel so much better. Mm-hmm. The long-term objective of what I have going on is going to feel better, mm-hmm. but this is going to suck. Mm-hmm. And I, I began to think about that, just dealing with, you know, first of all, I, I got a teenager. I'm around teenagers. Um, I used to work in school, so to really see the kids not being able to one conceptualize or compartmentalize right where everything they're universal so everything is right now my fault gotta get fixed and dramatic microwave society right and it's like you need this instant gratification in order to feel right. secure and that's not the practicality of it 
even when I, I was dealing with behavioral kids, and I would stop. Now listen, after the sentence, if you want to hit me, go ahead and try what you, got, you feel like you want to do. But listen to what I'm about to say to you. You're mad because of X, Y, and Z. The feeling you're having is you want to get that feeling off. I can bring you to the gym, and we do some push-ups and stuff, and, you know, box the wall. Or you can do this thing that's going to get you in trouble, and it's going to make me put hands on you. Which one do you really prefer? Mind you, either way, I'm not mad at you. That's the thing. I had to really get the kids to understand. I'm, this is not an act of aggression towards you. I have to get you to stop what they call is imminent risk of danger to themselves or others. So you got to get them to stop either way. But at the end of it, I'm not mad at them. It's called uh, processing in the PBIS system that you have to process with them afterwards. I'm not mad at you. Yeah, you definitely just tried to poke me with a pencil. But I'm not mad at you. And I think that kids, I, I was talking to somebody the other day, we have to love the kids where they are, not where we expect them to be. Yeah, and that, but that's 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 universal as well. You know, you said something um, a couple minutes ago about you know being stuck and you know moving forward. I think you know as you were saying, as my wife was saying, you know we have to do both. Right. right? Like it's okay to feel uncomfortable and disappointed mm -hmm. where you are, and also be to yourself in order to move forward. Like both can exist. And a lot of times we have a very difficult time um, really living in kind of like a duality. Right. So right. Like, for example, where you know you may you may want to be really kind to yourself, but you also want to acknowledge that you did something wrong. Like both can exist at the same time. And that's not what we told ourselves. Right. So we definitely don't tell ourselves that I can be right and wrong at the same time. Right. I'm right because I want to do better, but I'm wrong because I didn't do better. Right. And like you said, that duality is, is a very hard place to live yeah. because, like I say all the time, especially to the kids, the hardest thing about correction is acknowledging that I was wrong. Right. And that people still love me. So that what you, what you that just part. said was really powerful because when you're talking to kids, you know, when you're just saying you're wrong, you're wrong, you're bad, you're bad, mm -hmm. and you really get that conceptualized and that becomes a part of their core belief, they just equate every time they do something wrong that they're a bad person. Right. And so where we are in our lives, we're focusing on that. We may have behavior that we don't necessarily like, but that doesn't mean that we're bad people. Definitely we're bad people. And so I think that's where that's where we're going as far as being positive and also with acceptance, because we can accept that we have flaws and at the same time know that we're not bad people. I think that the way Sam was long talking about when we were when we were kids, yeah. a lot of what we do as adults is developmental. It came from our adolescence in a very, very sensitive space. Right. And that was a very sensitive space for us, whether our parents knew it or not. That was a time that we really needed to be observed, uh, corrected. First of all, I definitely discipline the kids. I'm not saying throw them into a wall, but discipline the kids. Because what they don't learn as a, as children they mistakenly do as adults. And if I learn the coping mechanism, if I learn how to behave, if I learn how to, you know, process through an emotion, like I'll ask my, my youngest, you'll see her like visually get angry and then tell me nothing's wrong. And I'm like, now listen, all your cues are saying that something's wrong. I need you to explain this to me. You're not, and I said, you're not wrong for feeling anything, but you have to be able to explain it. Because I know that's one thing with me, even as an adult, I'm stunted sometimes in explaining my emotional state. Yeah. I'll show you, 
<laughs> I could definitely show you what's going on, but can I articulate the verbiage that goes with it? And I don't think I, sometimes I don't think I can. It's only because that, that out of sight, out of mind kind of thing as kids, where you're to be seen and not heard. Right. You're to not be an adult conversation. You're supposed to be out of the way, you know, eat and go back to your room type stuff. And I think it's something that we learn. No one generation is responsible for that. Right. We learn that over time. Even, you know, if you want to go back to slave mentality, where you were supposed to be seen, but the master was never supposed to hear you. If you were moving through the halls or serving at the dinner table, cool, but you were never supposed to be acknowledged or bring attention to yourself. And then we bring that, uh, we bring that conversation into, you know, generations post-slavery, where we're still moving like that. It's called transgenerational trauma. I was hoping you had a word to that. Yeah. That's a good guess. It's transgenerational trauma. And basically, what we've learned from previous generations were basically based on survival. Right. Um, and so we kind of re-traumatize um, the next generation just so that they're able to survive, um, which is a very deep, wow. like, psychological um, issue that we have. You know, and it, it's, it just permeates through all different types of, um, just different types of lifespans and different types of People, for example, with men, you know, we can look at transgenerational trauma with, you know, how we interact with women based on how our previous generation right. interacted with women. Or how we interact with each other. Exactly. One of the most toxic interactions I see are men of color that interact with one another. Yeah, it can be. It, it can, can be. be. It can be very toxic. And then on two, on two sides, like one where we're tearing each other down right. and then the other where we're... Um, we have an unhealthy attachment with other males right? because we don't necessarily know how to express our emotions with women and know how to really connect with them. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot easier to hang out with boys because boys are supposed to understand us. Without any language. Without any and language. that's the part that gets me. So even like one of my things, you know, whenever I was having a hard time, I would say within the last couple of years, I would just retreat to the barbershop. No, no haircut, and even though I shout out to Pro Image, you guys are the best. There's a pool table there now, okay. so there's no reason for me to leave. Like it only takes me 30 minutes to get a haircut, but the next 45 minutes I'm playing pool and talking with the boys. And what makes it so good is that these are older men that can speak, and they have no problem correcting me. They, they, you know, they let the conversation be what it is. But correction happens, and I think the one thing that makes the the relating man-to-man toxic is when there's no accountability. You just let your boy do whatever. Like, you don't say, not to say that you're controlling him, but, bro, that, that, that's that's not it. Don't do that. Yeah, it says um, in the word that in the, in the multiplicity of counsel, there's safety. Right. So you do want to make sure that you have, you know, good people in your corner right. that are transparent enough to let you know, like, hey, that move right there. That's not it. That's not it. My wife, she can definitely account for that too. Um, I know the same that happens for me is the same that happens for her. Like I have male friends that I know for a fact that like if I move wrong, they'll they'll oh, slip. You know, they'll come tap me on the shoulder. Hey, bro. Yeah, that's not it. And, and my wife, she has friends as well. That, mm-hmm. You know, she's she's doing anything that you know, not that she does. I don't I don't ever recall her doing anything questionable. And that's me being really honest. Mm-hmm. But if it was, you know, she has friends that I know and discuss with her, like, hey, you know, I'm not going to be different. Right. 
I think honestly, the way you ended up on the podcast is you put up a fire uh, status. And I was like, oh, I wonder if he knows what fire he just started. All right, cool. Hey, CJ, how you doing? <laughs> and I ended up commenting on the status and it became a conversation. When I see that you're open for conversation, I'm like, oh, bad. We're going to be cool. But it's, it's that weird space and wondering if the person's open for conversation. Because, you know, in the land of social media, everyone feels like, I should be comfortable to say and move how I want to move. And I remember watching the, the Mike Tyson podcast. He talked about that. How people are so comfortable posting until they get punched in the face. Um. <laughs> and I was like, Dad, Mike, I hope you're really not out here knocking people out over Facebook posts. Nah, he, well, he, I'm, I'm going to say this and then we move on. <laughs> he was, um, there was a viral video of him punching out a, a kid on the airplane because he was talking to me. That wasn't a kid. I remember that. That's a grown man, but to me, it's like, you know, Mike Tyson's like in his 50s. And right. Like 20 now, here's the context to that, right? Oh, he's talking about you. Oh, he was doing a lot. Because the, the, the witnesses on the plane, because the dude, you know, obviously tried to sue Mike. The witness on the plane said the dude was messing with Mike from the gate, like from wow. the gate onto the plane. Wow. Mike took pictures with him, uh, signed the autograph, shook his hand, talked to the dude, and then got on the plane like a regular person. The dude was drinking, so, you know, he was on one. Kept like, it's Tyson, it's Tyson, it's Tyson. And then I was like, bro, could you, could you leave me be? Like, just, all right, cool. I guess he either, I think he ended up touching him or he poured a, a drink on him or something like that. And that's when Tyson turned around like, bro. And what he could have did in that small space, he didn't, do it. <laughs> he didn't even ball his hand up. Because that close of a distance with Tyson, you should have Parkinson's. Like, something should be wrong with your brain stem. He barely tapped that dude. And all the witnesses on the plane said he asked the dude to leave him alone several times. And I feel like that, in, a, in another sense, bringing back to the validation from other people, you did that based on the acceptance you wanted from Tyson. You wanted that energy. You wanted that attention from him. And when you didn't get it, now you're triggered in your adolescence. I think one thing we don't talk about enough is more often than not, I'm not emotionally triggered in my adult state. I'm emotionally triggered in my unhealed adolescent state and then my adult acts it out that's true and that's that's a Healthy patterns, right. 
that secondary gain keeps people in like what we call homostasis, where they they, they are you know as long as they're getting by right. and things are functioning around their own system. But notice, notice what you said there too, because that's a, one of my go-to words: homeostasis, and realizing that your body, your emotions, your mind all look to be balanced at some point. Right. They didn't necessarily say what kind of what balance. Kind of balance? It just wants right. to feel balanced. And right. one thing I was discussing with a, with a mentee of mine is that your brain is a self-serving organism. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really care about you. It wants to be served. That's right. So it'll do. That's that's how you get. You know, uh, and y'all definitely correct me, but this is how you get schizophrenia, this is how you get multiple personalities, your brain will splinter to save itself. So that I can't deal with this trauma just by me. So let me just split it amongst a bunch of people and now you've got multiple personalities inside of one body. Your body just wants to be okay. Yeah, it's that's a that's that's a that's a mouthful and you're you're right, and um there's a lot of things that go along with it, especially when you talk about diagnosis. But with those diagnoses, you know, there has to be a lot of um, not to get too much into that, but to get back to the homeostasis, um, one of the things that I found interesting is that for people that have had chaotic lives, traumatic experiences, um, they have to have a certain level of cortisol, which is the stress hormone being released in order to stay alert because if they're not alert and something traumatic may happen something bad may happen so right so when so the homeostasis that my wife is talking about which is phenomenal is that their homeostasis that they always have to have stress in their lives that's whenever there's not stress they will create stress right 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 right. now watch watch if you walk that backwards if you told people what your brain was doing. That is, it's really creating these toxic, you know, attachment styles on the stuff for the cortisol. It's not that you're a bad person or your personality is trash. Your brain is helping you make decisions because if I, if, you know, I know that girl ain't no good. Or I know that guy is no good. But they do this. So me being cheated on, being, you know, or not being treated correctly, this is what it does. It gives me the opportunity to create that stressful space that I'm actually comfortable with. Like you start thinking about like the mind of, of you know addicts, so to speak. I've, I've had you know I've had a lot of jobs, so <laughs> I've, I've dealt with that side too. When you start dealing with the mind of an addict, and why would you choose to do this? That's exactly why. Because after a certain point, you condition your body that this is my homeostasis point. This is where I find balance. So the world may be not as bad as I perceived it, because perception is literally what it sounds like. It's my perceiving things. But because I'm comfortable in a certain amount of drama or a certain amount of issue, mm-hmm. let me go shoot up or let me go you know, do that thing I'm not supposed to do yeah. because it gives me the opportunity to feel okay. Yeah. One thing, you know, my wife's out here, she tell you, she always tells me, Mike, put your shoulders down. I'm like, my shoulders are down. She's like, no, put your shoulders down. What do you mean? I'm like, and she's like, you don't feel okay. And I'm like, no. And I put them back up. She said, why do you like that? I was like, I think it's a trauma response. Good. You know, when I was brought up, if you stay ready, you don't got to get ready. Right. So if, my, if I'm already in a defensive stance, if something was to happen right now, my arms are already ready to go. Absolutely. That is a trauma response. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the body keeps score. You know, the body we, keeps we score. Keep, we keep all those traumatic experiences right. um, locked in the bodies. And then so then how do you then, with the physical aspect and the mental part, change to a positive mindset? How do you go from a place that has been 
locked in that trauma, mm-hmm. conditioned in that trauma, to okay, now I have to change this narrative of my entire life yeah. and change my framework, my way of thinking, believing, right. acting, you have to change also. to a positive mindset. What? How do you transition? So, oh, oh, yeah, it's definitely right. I was thinking about today, I know a couple of people who, who dealt with body dysmorphia. I said that morphia. And to me, I'm like, you are wild attractive. What are you talking about that you think you have an issue with your body? And it's really a psychosis of the mind that the mind shows you this image or this perception, like I said before, and you believe the narrative. Mm-hmm. And, and so, She, like I said, she was in it way before than I, um, way before she was in it way longer than I was, and so um, she started saying like, you know, well, whose voice is that? And I was like, wait, what? We was in a conversation, and she was like, well, whose voice is that? I was like, oh snap, hold on, time out. So a lot of times, <laughs> yeah, that's because no, I was talking before. Everything's not a demon, right? Whose voice is that? Right. And what are you talking about? What's that? What's, what dominant voice? Oh, that's dope. So a lot of times, she messes messes with girls. I still remember stuff from like four or five years ago. I didn't know what you was like. She was like, "What's the positive function?" I'm like, "Positive function." It's like, yeah, you do this thing right here, but there's a positive function for it. And I was like, "Well, chill out, hold on." Like, hold on. <laughs> I can't hear anyone. Like, you're trying, you're trying to process that therapeutically. I don't like it. Let me process it. But um, back to you, that with. Anyone that has body dysmorphia or um, someone that views them in the wrong context, mm-hmm. we can pretty much trace it back to a parent or someone that has authority that consistently said things mm-hmm. that were not advantageous to the child. So, for example, like you're really aggressive, like your parents saying like you're aggressive, or you're like your father. And when they say you like your father, and they always have something bad to say about the father. Facts, it goes hand in hand. And so then you start looking at yourself like, oh, I'm a bad guy like my father. Oh, I'm a monster mm-hmm. like my father. Oh, like I'm a deadbeat like my father. Facts, facts, facts. And so when you grow up, and then all of a sudden you're really doubting yourself, you're really judging yourself. And that's really why. And you're like, well, whose voice is that? Yeah, that's, listen, if I end up having a priest tomorrow, I know what I'm preaching, bro. And being able to separate, and that's where it comes back to that positive, learning to have a positive mindset. If you can identify that dominant voice, and you can identify, you know, okay, yes, I think this way, but it comes from somewhere. And this is where it comes from. And this is how it makes me feel. Being able to identify your feelings, naming it, right? But processing it in a way where you're not judging yourself. Right. I think the hard part is... Remaining non-judgmental. Absolutely. 
to say, okay, I think this way about myself, I feel this way about myself, and I can accept that without putting a value system on it. It's not, it's not, a, I'm not a bad person for feeling this way. I'm just observing my thoughts, I'm observing my feelings, I'm recognizing them, and I'm engaging with them. Like an obs- observer, mm-hmm. observing yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're so, a lot of times we're so consumed, and you say that to me a lot, you say, um, inter- I internalize, what do you say? Internalize. Oh, I internalize. Like, clap back, brother. Clap back, get yours, yeah. You say, I think from the inside out. What, what, was, mm-hmm. what was that? Like not, yeah. what, what, what yeah, was that called? That. Okay, internalize. that you yeah, internalize. You, so you think, think from the inside out, out, not necessarily from the outside. Right. Right. And so we're so consumed with our own thought processes, right. with our own reality that, right. We believe it's real. Yeah. And then we become so consumed by the value we put on it. It's bad. It's it's great. Whatever value we put on it that we just think that's the reality. Right. We never stop at times to take a step back and just observe your thoughts. Right. Observe your feelings. Mm-hmm. Where did it come from? Whose voice was that? That's, that's um, good. That's scary. Good. Why do I believe what I believe? Absolutely. You know, just taking a step back and looking at it from a non-judgmental place. You know, she sat there talking about your favorite word, right? <laughs> like, Socrates is about to come out. <laughs> like, cause I, 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 I'm going to explain to CJ when we first put it on, that that's how I began to think later. I realized that a lot of my behaviors, although they may seem beneficial to me, they're not benefiting the overall goal. Right. So then I started questioning myself, why do, why do you do that? And why do you behave like that? What, was, what do you think the overall goal is behaving like that? Mm-hmm. And then you, you begin to unravel your own narrative and kind of see, all right, bro, you're tripping. Yeah. Where also, I think it, it benefits you to have a system of accountability around you. Yeah. I was actually talking uh, with a friend of mine in regard to my photography. I submitted my portfolio to be critiqued by an OG, a professional. I'm like, yo, I'm not soft. Tell me what you see in my portfolio. Because I realized... If I keep thinking I'm good, I'm only gonna be able to judge myself by me thinking I'm good. Let me let me ask a real like someone who's been in the game for a while to judge my stuff and then tell me harshly what I do wrong. And that that comes with vulnerability. Um, and so in order to really tap into accountability, you have to be willing to be vulnerable right. and allow people to be transparent without you reacting. So like, that part. for example, like my wife and I, we, we've come to a place where she's able to tell me things and be transparent about it and I can be vulnerable with her and say, are you talking, right? You're saying the right thing. Yeah. And the reason why is because, and I know we're not gonna make this whole entire podcast about relationships, but because my wife is here, um, one of the things that I know for a fact, and I told my wife this, is that um, a lot of times when I'm praying, the Lord brings me back to listening to her voice. Yep. And that she's in my life for a particular reason. If I have a vulnerability issue, that's my issue. It's not necessarily what she's saying. So, like, when you're talking about accountability, when God put people in your life, and you have a hard time with what you're saying. It's not them. It's necessarily. You gotta say that part again. 
It's not the people. It's not their fault. It's how you're interpreting what they're saying. Or it's the sensitivity. The yeah. sensitivity, because sometimes when you're really vulnerable, the sensitivity may come back from, like years before, when people critique you, and you really have to start because they critique you personally. And so now when people are being transparent and open, mm-hmm. it's bringing you back to those places where people kind of like, hurt you and did all those things. I use those spots to my benefit, though. Like, my supervisor was talking to me about you know, he's actually giving me kudos that he talked to his boss, his boss about me. He's like, yeah, my trying hard. He did this is I, you know, I'm in a new position. I'm I'm doing certain things. The one thing that I heard that's been in my mind since Friday, what what's today? Today Saturday. So yeah, yesterday, it's been one of my like nonstop. He mentioned my wardrobe, mm-hmm. and one of the things I'm sensitive about most is my my personal image. Not that I'm conceited, but I actually, you know, being a bigger dude, I don't want to look a certain way. So. And I'm in I'm in finance, so you want to look like you know a certain kind of way. He actually mentioned it as a compliment, but it's been rolling around. Like, did he, did he, did he say something? And then and just recently, probably a couple hours ago, I had to stop and think, why are you still in that? And I'm like, oh, you're sensitive about your image, and you feel like you might be throwing shade. All right, cool, pay attention. But these are these are moments I feel like if you're gonna really be center on growth and personal development, look for sensitivity. I know some conversations that I probably shouldn't have because they're going to make me better. Those are the ones that you should look for first. And then, you know, to go even deeper with that, right, is now that you know your blind spot. That part. Right, that you're sensitive about about mm-hmm. your image. What's next? Right? Mm-hmm. When you <coughs> that sensitivity, how do you... How you see yourself? Right. Um, how do you reframe how you see yourself? How does Trey Trey see you? I feel like he is really trying to get into the conversation, bro. I feel you. I'm, I'm feeling all like this is one of the most stoic little babies ever. And I feel like he has a lot to say. Yeah. We're, we're gonna run this video back when you're a little older, and so that you can see this some more input. But I think even even that, the way kids carry themselves. It shows whether or not they're in a healthy environment. Yeah. Like my, my kids, or the older one, because she's a teenager, goes through changes left and right because she's in that space of social discovery. Well, my eight-year-old, no, no, I could care less. I literally couldn't care any less about what's going on because she knows she's dope. Yeah. And she doesn't care about, oh, daddy, my hair is fine. I'm like, girl, if you don't go in that bathroom and brush your hair again, you got a weird little alpha alpha joint going on and she's okay with it but i think that a lot of times we have to look at the child we were versus the child we hope they be and kind of help them through the middle part one of the things that you know we are extremely mindful in mindfulness is a very um, important word especially from the millennials because mindfulness is really just taking that time right to really be aware right and that's just like what it is just being aware of your surroundings being aware of yourself um but one of the things that my wife and i were very much even as a baby is what we say right yep. so like for example we'll make sure that we're not saying things that like we would we were here right right that's even, right even like as he's developing like a lot of times we just pull those associations 
appearance and it just comes out. Yeah. And so now we're just very aware. And one of the things that I heard or researched um, that is very critical is not necessarily telling him he's a good boy. Mm. And the reason why is because if we continue to frame his mind around saying you're a good boy, it's a judgment. He's going to seek approval all the time. So he did a good job. Yeah. He did right. a great job. But we're not going to give you that. that right. That, that is a complex you're giving him. It's the same thing when I, I tell my kids versus saying, I'm sorry versus saying I apologize. Mm-hmm. Stop saying I'm sorry. Because that's that you're saying something about yourself versus acknowledging the error in your ways. Yeah. Say I apologize. Yeah. I, I did X, Y, and Z, and I apologize. That I'm sorry mess. You know you're speaking that to yourself. And one thing that I think we don't put enough thought in is that words are energy. Energy neither dissipates or, or what's it? What's it? Energy neither is created or dissipates. It is what it is. So you let that word out. You're just feeding it to yourself. And as you're feeding it to yourself, you don't know that subconsciously that thing is going to keep coming back up. And like the one thing that stresses me so, out so bad about AA meetings or NA meetings, hi, my name is so-and-so and I'm an addict. That's yeah. important, but that's important though. And the reason and I, I understand that, and so I'm gonna make it two parts. The part was um, before I got into therapy, and mm-hmm. the part is after. So before I was like, yeah, don't ever acknowledge that because that's not who you are. The other part is that it's the ownership. Mm-hmm. And so when people are in AA, they'll tell you like, yeah, no, I'm in addict because I have to acknowledge that this is a part of me and I've accepted it and right. it's not bad. Right. Like that blew my mind. Having so many clients that have been addicts or are addicts is like it's important for me to say this mm-hmm. because I understand that any given time I can go back. Right. Like, this is just who I am and I've accepted that. And so when they say I'm an addict, it's a powerful thing for them. And when I say a powerful thing, it's beyond anything that I can ever right. understand. And um, and I have I, I have no clients once again that has been sober for years. And it's a part of them validating who they are without a negative connotation, like saying, yeah. "I accept that this is who I am." See, that's and when you're in a healthy space. Yes. When, I, when I was in a halfway house, that wasn't the connotation that went with it. Dudes was beating themselves up with it. Yo, Mike, man, you know I'm an addict. I can't. Get, and I, I'm an addict. I can't. My bro, you gotta you gotta stop with it. And I've been being young twenties. I didn't know the language to go with it. I'm like, bro, that's not the way. Don't use the word like that. Because the way that they're being taught, they're being taught that once an addict, you're always gonna be an addict. No, I have an addictive personality and I have addictive traits about me. And I know that this is like you said, the ownership of knowing that I can literally flip a switch and go back. That part, yes. But the way that they were taught, I say like this, the instructor was condescending. And was bringing it okay. down on them that you're you're no better than the addiction. I'm like, nah, bro. It's a part of you. It's a, it's a truth. And it's a part of your narrative. But you're not you're not just that. Right. That's a part of them. And I think that it goes with a lot of things that we say about ourselves. Absolutely. I literally do not tolerate the word I'm fat. Talking to either one of my kids. No, you may have poor eating habits, or you may have a lack of activity. You are not fat. Yeah, nah, you know. <laughs> listen, listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fuck you through my whole life. But it's the way 
I, I was telling somebody, it, it was funny, but I think that a lot of times, you know how they do, you laugh off trauma sometimes. I told them one thing that irritated my soul as a kid is being called Big Bone, Rotund, or Husky. Those words are not the, what they are meant to. Like when you say, I, I just walk into JCPenney outlet and see Husky on the board. And I'm like, bro, what the heck is, is a Husky a dog? And my mom's like, no, that's, that's your body type. I'm like a Husky? Yeah. That just sounds fat. Like it's something like a synonym for fat. And you realize that you've been saying that to your kid for X amount of time. And you're lying to them. Big bone is not a real big bone is not a real thing. It's regular bone with big meat wrapped around it. Stop. But the part that you're you're feeding Right. You're feeding yourself that. So now you're you're even I don't want to just talk about that. My nickname of being Big Mike. Not just Mike, but Big Mike. It goes to feed a narrative that I have to be big. I have to be the biggest person. I can embrace the big. I'm always going to be a bigger person. Doesn't mean you have to be unhealthy. Right, right. But, but. Um, one of the things that is really, and it's just to piggyback off of that, you know, um, our son, he was born two months early. Um, and we had a video, you know, up on our Facebook page of his journey. Um, but all you would see is preview. Yeah. And I told my wife, I, I hate that word. That word is wild. I hate that It's word. wild. I hate it. Like 100%. Like even when you go to like stores and you're buying clothes, it has premium. And I'm like, I don't like it. I don't like the label that goes with it. I, I hate it. Because let's say, now, now watch. My, my little brother here is a young, functioning, happy little kid. Yeah. You're labeling him as if he has a defect for being born early. Absolutely. And he does not. No. Now, do we understand that in, in child labor and birth, can things happen and all the yeah. But I don't, I don't appreciate in society that we label so many things that do not require a label. Now, if I was to have, um, what's, uh, I have TBI clients, traumatic, uh, traumatic brain injury. Calling them TBI or saying they have TBI are two different things. Or call, I have two clients who are um, intellectually disabled, which I love that they changed the word from the other word to, to intellectually disabled because you're, you're, you're telling a person you are this versus you have that. And it's, it, the label is horrible because now a lot, of my, a lot of my individuals most recently feel like they're, they're, they are uh, short-sighted or what would be the other word? Limited by, oh, I can't do this because of my disability. No, you can do it. It just may take you a little more time to do it. But you can pretty much do anything you want to do. But if you if people are telling you that you can only do X, Y, and Z based off of the label that they have on you, that's a scary place to be. Because again, it goes to that outside validation. That somebody else has the power to tell me what I am and what I'm not. And I think that even... Look at just look at society as a whole. If I did not have businesses, I wouldn't have social media, because social media is one of the most toxic places to be. Because I'm waiting for someone. Like, if y'all see me keep on the next screen, I'm watching the live as we're on the live to see what the numbers are doing. But it's a learned behavior because of social media. Social media tells you when you post that picture how many likes did you get, what's the comments. If you're gonna post just to post, like remember when we were young, our parents would. They have to take the ugly school pictures and then put them in the frame, and that was it. But didn't they cut up pictures and hand them to people? It was the same mindset then, just not as fast as social media. You didn't know if they liked it or not. 
You had no idea because once you gave grandma the picture, she just put it in her wallet and didn't take nothing. But now you post the picture. I got to look at the picture over and over and over and over, and I, I can see it. Yeah, there's there's two there's two ways to look at that. One is that it is a dopamine, um, that it's part. a dopamine thing. So right. like the social media is very addictive, and a lot of people are having a hard time with social media, especially the way that um, some of these platforms are created. They're created for it to be addictive. Um, so TikTok, you're looking at Instagram, um, Facebook, kind of, but not as much as TikTok, Instagram. Yo, TikTok is wild. Yeah, no, I, I, I haven't been on TikTok in about three years. I remember I told my wife this. I, I got out of work around three o'clock, and I got on TikTok. And before I had came to, I'm gonna say just like, like that. I had came to. It was six o'clock, so three hours of my life disappeared. Disappeared without me knowing. I'll beat you. I was at work, and my my resident was asleep. And this is what I, my, you know, my students that put me on the TikTok, and I'm, you know, borderline conspiracy theorist. So I'm watching these videos. And then you know the algorithm just. And it, and it kept feeding me, which I'm like, oh, this is lit. Oh, Agartha and Middle Earth and Flat Earthers and this and the Kennedys. And I'm like, oh, yes, I found my people. And then six hours of my shift was gone. And I'm like, bro, first of all, how is my iPhone still on? One. Two. It's mad warm because the screen has been on for this whole time. And I'm really looking around like, when did y'all eat dinner? I know I cooked early, but when did y'all eat? And I'm like, yo, I've really been sitting in this chair for six hours for 30-second videos just going through. And the ones that get me is when they move without you swiping them. That is the devil. It is. It's literally trying to, when the, when the reels move without you touching it. Yes. Like even on Instagram, it'll move without you touching it. You know the time I've always lost a foot sitting on the toilet because the wheels have kept going, and now my feet are asleep. I'm like, I'm, I'm almost this close, like that. I need you to come help me get off the toilet because I can't feel my ankles because you've really been sitting there and it's been feeding not necessarily your intellect, but like you said, it's a dopamine thing. Where think about think about what happens with cocaine, so to speak. It's such a dopamine release that your body craves it. It's not necessarily the drug. It's the chemical release where now you're you're chasing dopamine over and over and over and not really realizing you just want to be satisfied. Absolutely. And so when you when you were talking about like, you know, even like posting them a picture or looking at the numbers, you know, that instant gratification of someone liking your post or something, someone liking something that you're doing. It's a huge dopamine release. Yeah, yeah. So that's where we're talking about with validation and how, like, you know, other people validating you is giving you those good chemical releases. Like, right. oh my God. Until like, it's not good. Right. But, you know, I think it, it, it becomes a detachment from reality. Yes. Right? So when you're so focused on the internet, you focus on these algorithms. Your focus on people liking what you have to do, what you say, mm -hmm. and it, we get preoccupied mm -hmm. with what everybody else is doing, what everybody else is thinking, how they feel about us, what you know, comparison, how people li what people yeah. lives are like. Yeah. That we completely detach from reality, yeah. and the underlying issue, I think, lies within our human condition. Why? What's the need to detach? 
Yeah. But, but it's, you know, we, we, we're unsatisfied. Yeah. There's this level of unsatisfaction with who we are. We, we don't slow down uh, to really right. pay attention to That's who we fact. are and be comfortable with who we are and love who we are and accept who we are. That we put our energies towards so many yeah. things and there's such a huge level of detachment. Mm-hmm. People are killing themselves mm-hmm. over likes. Quite know? frankly. And that, that part, and I think that you, you really hit the, the nail on the head. It's, first of all, let's be a little practical. This innate thing is a part of our human structure. Where we, the, the need for acceptance is how the, the society survives, how communities move forward. Because we accept one another, and now we're part of, a, let's say, a clan or a tribe. We move together now. So it's a, it's a primal instinct for acceptance. When checked properly. Check when not checked properly, like you said, uh, good boy, saying to your son, now you're he's on this, he's almost bent for acceptance because my dad used to say this all the time, and I need my dad to say this now. And if he doesn't say it, I didn't do good enough because he didn't say it. And you're not even thinking like that's what the motive is. And now he's, he grows up to be a whole adult and has a bit towards you because you're not accepting his every move. And you're like, bro, you, you if I didn't say anything, then you're fine. But they don't know that. Right. And it, it goes back a lot. If you think about anybody who was raised in the 80s and 90s, bro, they should be one of the commercials for us. If you were raised in the 80s, you are eligible uh, for compensation. Because <laughs> if we made it through those times and how the parenting was, we were parented through probably the biggest drug era up until date. We, we were parented through the crack era. We were parented through a very wild time. The internet was born when we were kids. Like. It was a very shifting time in our childhood to kind of see. I, I remember Black Planet. I remember MySpace. <laughs> all these things. The fact that we were HT, was it HTML, I'm saying HTML coding as kids for MySpace and no one knew that you were already working in coding to put your little backdrop on the music in your top five. And all because we were driven to see, okay, who's going to click on my stuff or who's going to send me? I tried to get on my MySpace the other day just to see what, if anybody tried to hit me up. Because you've got to think about it. We were conditioned early to be driven for acceptance. Yeah. I want to I say something about that. I think acceptance is extremely important. And I think what most of us are really longing for is belonging. That part. And the acceptance and belonging. I don't want to say the other same thing, mm-hmm. it can be a little bit different. Um, and so what we're kind of doing now is we're trying to do the whole social media thing for acceptance, but internally what we're, we don't feel like we belong. And that's what we're all looking for. We're looking for a community where we belong. And, you know, that's huge. And we talked about that in one of, our, um, one of those episodes. Like that's what people are looking for in the church. They're looking to feel like they belong. Like when they look around and they hear the people and they see the people, can they connect? Do we feel like we're part of the community? Right. Do we feel like, oh my gosh, like, you know what? This is a place where we can park. And people will see us for who we are, accept us for who we are, yeah, be and it then, like, you know, draw us closer. Like we and so a lot of people are looking for that. But also to touch on, you know, what my wife was saying. Um, and what you were saying, when we detach from reality and we're looking at social media and we do all this comparison, um, it was a very powerful experience that my wife and I had when we went to Namibia because we would see people living in 
what we call squalor. Like they're living like way beneath mm-hmm. what we thought was acceptable. But they're the happiest people in the world. Could be any happier. And we're just like, and we 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 we're, they're like, oh my gosh, uh, we're trying to feed them. We're about to start bawling out crying, and we get back to the hotel room like, God forgive us, you know, because we wanted all this stuff, all this lavish stuff, and then all of a sudden you see what people, how people are in other countries, and they just are so happy. What I've done the research, the reason why people in other countries are so happy and don't have a lot is because they have community. When you look at those places like Namibia, everyone is a family. And so that's why there's so much more happiness, even when they don't have cars, even when they don't have, you know, an apartment, they live in shacks, right? You know, and it's the reason why is because they have a community with them. But it satisfies, like I said, it satisfies a primary need, because at the end of the day, if I don't have everything I want, but I have a loving community, it trumps the fact that I don't have what I want. Right. Now, I may want, you know, the nicest MacBook or whatever I have you, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, my acceptance isn't the device. It, the device brings me acceptance. Right. But if my community's doing that, it doesn't require me to, to invest so much. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of the, the, the psychology of the marketplace where they figure that out. If I can make this device or this product or this fashion line that important, it'll kind of seep its way in and take over that primal space. And now you do whatever you can to get my product. Right. You do whatever you want to. Yo, I know people who have spent their entire life chasing labels. Balenciaga, how you say, YSL, all these, you know, they're going nuts over it because it gives me a new level of access and a new level of status. That status they then equate with my acceptance. I'm accepted with these people because I got on, you know, YSL, I have Balenciaga, I have Montclair on, I got these things on. It gives me something now, which in, in, in retrospect, it's hurting our society to realize that if I took these clothes off or I took these these items off, who, that part, what, who am I in society if there's no label on it? And I really, I had that epiphany shopping on Target. And I would buy, you know, pretty much everything I have on is from Target. And I'm like, I don't really care that the stuff is comfortable and lasts and I look okay. I'm fine. But then I have a brother who is a fashion uh, consultant. I've seen what $1,000 jackets look like and, you know, $2,000 pairs of shoes. And, you know, recently he had me um, meeting Kirk Franklin and, and Chandler Mornall and, and, you know, shout out to you guys. That's dope. But looking at their wardrobe and realizing that what I made this year is on that hanger. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, right. my whole yearly salary is on a hanger, not a wardrobe, a hanger, a hanger not the shoes, just the top and the bottom. Right. I'm like, bro, what, what are you, well, excuse me? I remember the first time I went to my brother's house in California. And I said, bro, what's all those black boxes in your, um, in your closet? You know, I'm thinking, you know, I'm church, but I'm thinking, hey, bro, what you into? What's all these black boxes? <laughs> He said, no, man, it was shoes. I mean, what kind of shoes come in all black boxes? He said, those are Eve St. Laurent. I said, okay, let me. He's like, 300, 400, 600. I'm like, yo, you had 12 boxes in here. How much in shoes alone? And that's not the only shoes he had. And I'm like, man, am I not doing enough? 
like one thing that got me was I'll wear some Air Monarchs. I'll wear some no name sketchers or whatever. I'm currently in Crocs. I'll wear whatever. But then I just look at other dudes like going to the barbershop. You know, they got Air Maxes on and these shoes. I'm like, am I not doing enough? Like these dudes that I, I relate to are wearing X, Y, and Z. Do I have the wrong thing on? Yeah, that's 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 where we get back to the whole concept of positivity. Because if you are able to accept yourself, right, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Not only that, but I've also found that it doesn't help when you do accept yourself, but accept where you're going. Right. Right. And your your positive about where you're going, and you understand like, hey, you know, the money that I have. It's not necessarily needed. It doesn't serve me to buy that. So, right. for example, your your brother, it serves him. Because that's an industry. That's his industry. Right. But if that's not where you're headed, then it's fine that you don't. That's a have false that. investment. Right. And that, I believe that, you know, let's make it a little deep. So, <laughs> in praying about the season, like, what, what I'm going to talk about next, like, I feel like a lot of people have podcasts because they feel like their voice are not heard enough. And I, I don't. I never wanted to be that person. Like, why do I feel I need a podcast? One, because the art of conversation doesn't exist anymore. People will insinuate, throw shade, assume, be passive aggressive, but never converse. Right. And I'm. I know what it's like to watch the older folk sit on the porch and talk all day, <laughs> or sit in the living room and just chat. I remember as a kid, my uncles and them, which they still do now, is pop up my mom's house and just. I'll come and our siblings are sitting in the living room. There's no phone, no one has their phone up. One, one of them sleep, the other one's eating, but they're conversing, they're talking about ideas and sharing information. I think that as a society, we suffer because we don't talk enough. People are going through stuff and you really could find the, the holistic and honestly non-pharmaceutical healing to, to a lot of your stuff if you had a society or you had a, a tribe around you to help you out. It took, it took a few people to come get me out of darkness when I was really going through some emotional turmoil. I had to, first of all, shout out to my squad because they don't care that I'm bigger than them. They came from my head. Bro, you acting like a sucker, bro. What, is, what are you doing? And I went, ow, first of all, that hurt. <laughs> but then you have, to, you have to look at it. If the people you care about are telling you something, maybe I should kind of, okay, I should invest in that. Because that's that's telling us that I need to hear and know, and we miss a lot of that because we don't talk. And we miss a lot of that because we're looking for how they say love in all the wrong places. Right, and I think I just thought about something just from a personal relationship with God perspective, mm-hmm. Christian perspective. You know, the Bible says this is not our home. Right. We are traveling through it. Right. And we're, we're strangers in it. Mm-hmm. We're going to pass through and there is another home that we eventually are going to go to, right? right. And I think that being immersed in a, in an environment, in a, in a society that is constantly pushing different value sets apart from the value that um, God gives us mm-hmm. and wants us to live by. It's really being able to balance it and being able to tap into the supernatural knowledge of what God gives us. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, for me personally, I struggle at times with where, you know, 
hey, see, uh, get, get the board ready. We're going, we're going to Spain. We have, we have, no, take two months off. We're leaving. That part. Because now, what does the Bible say about evil ambition? Ambition that's outside of God is evil. And not evil in the sense like you're a Satanist, but look what it does to you. It caused you to have a lustful eye for things that honestly aren't that bad that he would give you if you just redirected your mind. And, but we're, I, I, I have to continually repent because I'm like, God, listen, I am stressed out having one job because I, I know what my checks used to look like having multiple jobs. And I could move how I wanted to move and do what I want to do. Now, y'all see all these lights, right? And they are all on. And y'all got fed fresh chili and sea bass. That was regular stuff. That's okay. That worked, God. Thank you. I love that. My old money used to be different, but I'm dying to get it. Here's here's the here's the interesting thing when it comes to that. Um, a lot of times we are materialistic because we live in a material world, right? And the other thing is, is that you know we we want what we want, and it's okay. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's perfectly normal to want what you want. I think that especially how my wife is talking. It is when we are really driven by our principles, our values, when it's steeped in Christian philosophy and things of that nature, that's when we really start to find our sense of joy and happiness. And so one of the things that I've been learning is that who defines my happiness? What defines my happiness? What defines what I consider to be positive? You know, if you watch it, um, what's his name? Um, Rennetruck, uh, I forgot his first Gary. name. Gary. Gary Rennetruck, right? He's on this whole wave of like, you know, do things that make you happy. He and really on one about it, too. And people are really quitting six-figure jobs. They're dipping on their job and they couldn't be no happier. And be happy. And here's, here's, here's a crazy thing. Here's a crazy thing, right? When they when they do the research, people are the happiest when they're in their 70s. Why? And, but, you know, <laughs> but you have to ask why, though. You know why? Because they finally had the epiphany. I'm on my way out anyway. Right. I had a lady, we, we were trying to sell, when she came in for a loan, and we're trying to set her up, there's a disability side of the loan. Should anything happen to you, the loan will still be paid. You know, God forbid you die, your, your children will have to pay it. I tried to tell her, man, instead of getting a loan, get a HELOC. It's a line, it's a line of credit. Right. You have 10 years to spend, 15 years to pay back. Yeah. She said, Mike, that's 25 years. I said, yeah. I'm not about to give you that long. And I had to look at her like, whoa. She's like, Mike, I'm 80. I'm not about to be here another 25 years. Give me whatever money at whatever rate because I don't really care. I'm on my <laughs> and, and she was being so blunt about it. That kind of had to like sit and, and rationalize what she was saying. Yeah. Not that I'm looking forward to death. I'm not going to be here long enough to care about this. Right. It's so temporary. It, it is. <laughs> but here's, here's the crazy thing. When they've done the research, they have noticed that when you're in your 70s, 80s, right, when you're in your twilight years, they're saying that they don't really care about the materialistic things. The things that make them the happiest is when they're with their family. Right. Like, all of it is about being with their family and making precious moments. And so a lot of us, we're kind of doing things backwards. Mm -hmm. 
because we're working extra hard you know, right. to get the materialistic stuff and missing huge parts of our family's lives. And then by the time we're 70, we're like, oh, yeah, let's get that time back. And there is it's, it's, it's kind of lost. So, you know, I think that <laughs> the conversation happened exactly the way it was supposed to happen. I feel like we went through a very wide spectrum of what it means to, first of all, we got to rewire our minds initially. That's the first step. If we're going to have any grasp on positivity or have any grasp on actually making progress, like progress is not measured by, oh, thank you, Lord. Progress is not measured by debt. And that's what really acquisition is. It's debt. I could have the nicest car in the world. You know, as soon as you pull off the lot, it depreciates in value. As soon as you put your foot on the gas, the MSRP is out the window. So we, unfortunately, as a society, measure my success by the debt that I wear, I collect, or I purchase. But if you really looked at it, my social equity matters more than the debt that I'm able to collect. How many people can I call right now to come to my aid? Or how much, I, I love that my mentor always talks about the mark of leadership isn't your status, but who's following you. What is the scope of your influence? If I really needed 10 strong people right now, could I call them? Could you, put, if I was stuck on the highway right now, could I get someone to get me off the highway? That matters to me more because if you think about it back in the day, like you said, you, you guys went to the motherland and they, they're, they're living what we would think is beneath them and couldn't be any happier. 100%. And it's only because, like you said, they had community. And that's the part that matters more. Because if I don't, watch this, if I don't have it, right? When I went to my fisherman, I said, yo, I had to move some money around. Give me half my order. I'll come back and get the other half um, next week. I said, man, shut up. The whole order's on the porch, bro. Just leave whatever and I'll see you next week. And I'm looking at him like, I respect you as a business. He's like, yeah, but we have fraternity. And I had to look at the text like, whoa. Hit me with the knowledge. He's like, no, we have fraternity. I know one, I know you're good for it. But two, take this fish and get out of my face, please. And that's, I think that we put too much on, um, what's the word? Unknown expectation of others. And then we never have the conversation. Yeah, you're saying a lot. And, and that what we're what we're really touching on is that the key to positivity um, for a lot of people is community driven social equity. What you're talking about. Um, it, it just it's just overall that's how we can really move in a more positive direction. Um, when you have positive people behind you, when you have a positive community. Um, but that social equity thing is very huge. Um, and the reason why is because when you can engage with people and have that common bond, it just makes <coughs> much more meaningful. And I think that's what a lot of people are looking for um, when it comes to positivity. It really is like, is my life meaningful? Do I have really good principles and values? And are the values meaningful? Do I, when I, when I wake up in the morning, am I driven on purpose? And so I'm very huge on that. I'm very huge on just having a purpose-driven life. Um, and so even with my wife and I, when we're discussing our next moves, it really comes from the blueprint of heaven and then also knowing that whatever move we make is intentional for our overall happiness and success and what we want to do with our lives and how we move forward. So when it comes to just being positive, it really is just being intentional 
really living your life on purpose. So we're really actively engaging with people like yourself and your wife. Like we really want to connect with you guys so that we have people in our corner that we can just do life with. And that's very intentional. That part. Oh, you will get on my nerve. That part gets me. I know that that can turn into a whole other conversation. <laughs> but I, I realized that my, my best friend and I had, had been stuck with each other for like 16 years. And it's a very uncommon relationship because it's a male to female relationship. No boundaries. We don't even, we've never even had the conversation about it because there's no need, there was never any need to have one. Because when you understand the need of the people that you're around, we don't have to do a whole bunch of weird stuff. But we were talking about it the other day. I can't wait till we get old and we sitting on the porch in rocking chairs and we just talking. And she's like, yo, I can't believe that's so dope. <laughs> it's like you just said, finally getting to a space where we found people to do life with, it's not about, you know, how many people I can get to a party or how many people I can get to agree with my opinion. Can I do life with you? Right. Like, when it's time, like, I would love to take a, a dope vacation with a group of my people. Yo, everyone put the deposit in, we're going to Spain. I keep bringing it to Spain because my wife is on it. She wants to go. I'm like, yo, put the money together. We're we, we gone. We're leaving. One of my, I want to go to Ghana too, but Ghana's high on my list. And I'm like, yo, we're out, we're leaving. But it's how often do you find people that you can do life with? Yeah. One thing that y'all don't even know that you did, which I thought was so dope, you guys came for your shoot last week, right? And y'all said, hey, can I leave train and we run to the car? And my head, I was like, that was nice, they trust me, that's what's up. 100%. And then my man just sat there and looked at me like he's looking at me now, he's like, hey, what are we doing? Yeah. And it just took a bunch of random pictures, and I'm thinking the flash is gonna mess them up or didn't budge. And it was so much fun because I'm like, this is when you find community. When you find your tribe, the tribe works. Yeah. And although every day is not gonna be rainbows and butterflies, but the tribe is what the tribe is. And I think that it matters because at the end of the day, we're all very intellectual. The people sitting in this podcast were pretty, were pretty smart. I'm pretty sure we can get to the money one way or another. Does it really matter? No. But when I'm 50, 60, 70 years old, and I can sit around, my, my vision is having a big dining room table, and Sunday dinners is not necessarily the kinsmen of my, my bloodline, but the family I chose. Yo, dinner at my house, let's go. And you look around the table, 20 years, 30 years, we've been rocking 40 years, and there's so much legacy at the table. Like, when I was coming up, my mother made sure that we had extended family. I got aunts and uncles that are not related to me. <laughs> and I'm, I'm an honorary cousin, nephew, whoever. And it, it's so dope because you create a tribe that way. Yeah. Like you mentioned about the, the people you guys visited, everyone's family. Even if we're not blood related, everybody's family. Everybody's family. That's biblical. Peter was trying to set that up. There was a commonwealth. Everybody for everybody. Yeah. Because you can't beat that. No, you can't be a society based on everybody for everybody. That's how the first century church was, how it was created. Right. It was created on everyone going to everyone's house, everyone breaking, breaking bread, bread, everybody sharing money. That's um, why there's food on this podcast. <laughs> and that's just that's just how it how it was. But that's how that's how we are. We're social beings. We're social human beings. We're social creatures, and we need that sense of belonging, and we need that sense of like, hey, I know I can rely on you because a lot of me, you know, we're in your corner, you're in our corner, and you know, we're, we're gonna do this till the wheels fall off. Until the wheels fall off, that's it. I think what you said, we're intentional about 
enjoying that, I think, on a, on a macro level, um, you know, who's a good at numbers? Who's a good at number on, yeah, I heard her. Yeah, heard her say that I'm a conspiracy theorist, and she wants to talk about COVID. Not, I'm trying to hold it together. Not, not in the sense of like you know, what you know, the vaccine, all that stuff, but like just the lockdown. Yeah, it I think it was, it was an agenda anyway. Isolated, and they, they created this black community, mm-hmm. yeah. and where people were more and are still more self-focused on the internet. There's more internet activity than ever. People are hiding behind their computers. Um, people don't want to. I think I even found myself falling into that trap. And you have to like intentionally work your way out of it. I was outside during COVID. I I wasn't married during the lockdown, so I was just sitting in the apartment like, all right, bro. How many eggs can you really make? It's time to get outside. I remember driving around. No one was outside. I love And I was on a I was on a south in the harbor where they're supposed to be driving. <laughs> no traffic. Most of the streetlights wasn't working. The animals was coming out. But I, we were just driving around. I'm like, yo, is that a bear? That's a whole bear. It was looking like I am legend. <laughs> oh, it was looking like I am legend. I'm like, um, if any of these things start, I believe it. But that's a great point that I think that we have to rationalize what we all just went through. Right. And I was sharing with my kid. I was like, as a kid, we came through. What Columbine, 9 yes. 11, uh, Y2K, all these issues we've come through. And now y'all just saw something I never thought we'd see in our lifetime right. a pandemic. Yeah, and then a lockdown. Y'all, and y'all, as kids, did it, it really even phase you. Y'all like, oh, lit, we don't gotta go to school. As adults, we didn't trick them like, okay, how these bills gonna get met? Yeah. And then I remember, <laughs> oh Lord, unemployment locked me out for like two weeks. I'm like, yo, first of all, Somebody better find my money because I've been in here and I only got three eggs left. It's going to get run my wrong side and hunt something. But it's, it's, it goes a lot to say that we have to restart that drive for community. Yes, Absolutely. 100%. Um, and I can say this, not disclosing any of my clients now, but I know that a lot of people who are searching for clinicians um, and for therapy have depression that's linked to COVID because they feel so isolated. And so even if they do have friends, if they meet their friends maybe once a month or whatever, they still feel this void. Mm -hmm. And so what we're now discovering is that they need to be in a community, people that are like-minded and that they can share or have shared common interests. And that's where, that's just where the church has a huge has a lot of leverage. It's a huge opportunity to create these community-based programs and ministries so that people can really feel like they belong. And so, like, you're starting to see, like, a lot of churches that have life groups, why they're so flourishing, because people can go there and have this sense of, like, I belong to something. People are actually looking for me to be there. That's that's really huge. Bring it it all full circle because I know this conversation needs actually to happen more than once, to be quite honest with you, because uh, I think people need to to be reminded that it's okay not to be okay, one, but it's also okay to realize that we have needs and that instead of looking to artificial intelligence to help us, look to each other to help us. 
Like there's there's things and the art of conversation literally is an exchanging of something I don't know for something I do know. Where I can tell you, hey, hey bro, this is how you need some chicken salmon, bro. You know what you want. Like my man over here, me. This is how you make a big salmon. Versus CJ's a lot smarter than me in certain areas. And I'm like, I just want this piece keep talking. This is I I feast on information. But no, it's my thing. I love finding smart people because I want to hear whatever it is that you know people have to say so that I can get on the next space of where I'm at. That I can better articulate. I can better my scope gets bigger the more people it's like uh and <laughs> Superman the dude that was brainiac. And he would go to dimension to dimension, sucking in information and then moving on. I soak in people's information so that I have someone else to talk about afterwards. Yeah, and you know, I say this and then I'm gonna, you know, let it go. But we when you're talking about community, the reason why also it is so important is because when you know that you have value, you're able to share that value mm-hmm. to other people. And that's when you really start to feel like you have meaning and purpose in your life. When I know that I have value that I give to you and that makes your life better, and you have value that's impactful for my life and makes my life better. And we have this bond, mm-hmm. and so that's why you know, like you're saying, the community is not just showing up. It's like, oh, I got this piece to the puzzle. This is how I make this. How I help make this work. And so that's why it's just so so critical um, right now. Listen, guys, we've spent the time talking about this. I feel like we're we're gonna be revisiting this conversation at another point because it's we're not we haven't really even hit the surface. On, there's so many layers psychologically that we ended up tapping on that if we just pick a topic, we can spend the next whole season. I think the season four just wrote itself. But as always, listen, I love you all. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode of The Cutting Bar. I'm here with my brother, sister, Mr. and Mrs. Green. And we spent our time talking about exactly what the topic said, the theory of positivity. I hope you got some kind of nugget, some kind of information that would help you along the journey. And should you be looking for a tribe, go outside. <laughs> They're outside. The people are waiting to be communal with each other, but we got to come out of that fear of being vulnerable and not wanting to talk to folk outside of a post or a comment. Anyway, as always, I love you guys. Thank you. This has been another episode of Cutting Board, and we're out. Peace. <laughs>